Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I joined the Navy as a 19-year-old and got on a plane in Richmond, Virginia, and flew across the country to San Diego, back when they had a naval training center there, and was shuttled from the airport to the base and got to boot camp, literally, I was joining something that had been going on for a long time. Uh, it was not new. No one was trying to figure out exactly how to train people to be sailors. Um, it was new to me, but it wasn't new to anyone else. It was a fairly well-oiled machine. Uh, within the first few days, actually within the first few hours, my personal belongings and what I was wearing uh, had been mailed home to my parents back in Virginia. You put everything in a box addressed it, and then the military mailed it home for you. And I was running around in not very fashionable U.S. Navy sweatpants and sweatshirt for a couple of days until we got issued dungarees, as we called them in the Navy. You've probably seen those blue uniforms. Uh, and again, those, talk about joining something that had been around for a while. Those dungarees certainly had been around for a while. But again, then it just began, the normal things. My head was shaved soon thereafter, and in week one, there were certain things that, that our company commanders wanted us to master in week two and week three. And by the end of boot camp, theoretically, collectively, as a company, we had, in fact, mastered those things. In fact, things were so traditional in one sense that even though I had signed paperwork, my enlistment was to be a CB in the construction battalion, so I was never going to be on a ship, we st I still got to learn how to make certain kinds of knots in boot camp, you know, using rope, which I now don't remember at all how to make those kinds of knots, but I'm sure they were useful, maybe still on ships in the 1990s, though I'm not sure. But again, there it was, joining something that was very traditional, and off I went, and then when I got out of boot camp and went what's called the E-School in Mississippi, again, it, it had its way of doing things, and I just simply got on board. Number of years later, when I moved here to California to begin working at the Tory Honors Institute, it was less that and more of a, let's figure this out as we go, because that's a fun way to do things. Uh, the program wasn't terribly old when I joined. I was the seventh full-time faculty member hired. Uh, there's now 16, just to give you a sense of how much it's grown since I've been there. Uh, within a number of months, I knew every student by name, first name, and last name. Can't do that anymore. There's just simply too many students to try to know them all, and I don't see all of them all in class like I used to. But again, I was joining something that was relatively young and untested. And in fact, 14 and a half years later, we still are making things up to some degree because I'm we're only as old as the program is, you know what I mean? Like I'm at the front guard as we age into some sort of, you know, middle age academic program, if you will. And it was fun and it was exciting to be part of something new and our founder and first director who hired me, John Mark Reynolds, he was so entrepreneurial that uh, no idea was a bad idea to John, um, but some ideas weren't better than others, and so we didn't do a lot of things that we dreamed up, but we did a lot that we did dream up. Uh, we do less of that now for lots of different reasons, and it does feel like 14 and a half years in, I'm part of a better oiled machine, perhaps even a well-oiled one. But there's that sense of like joining something that's traditional. I got to boot camp, they had their ways. Uh, I was just simply called recruit, so certainly no one was asking how we were gonna do things, and certainly not asking the recruits. 
But yet, when I came to work at Biola, the Tory Honors Institute, it was, it was all new and different. And I think about that first night when Jesus was born, those first days, those first weeks when things are different. It's not the way it used to be anymore. I mean, first of all, those 500 years of so-called silence on the part of God after Malachi ends in the Old Testament and Matthew picks up the story, those 400 years, so they had a kind of rhythm and life to them regarding God's chosen people, the Jews, that wasn't all good, of course. But before that, there was captivity under Syrian Babylon and other trials. And before that, though, there was the monarchy and there were lots of bad kings, but there were good kings. And they even look back to the time of David as such a great high point. And well, before that, there were those who had been called by God, uh, you know, much fewer people in the family of Abraham. And of course, the Old Testament is like that. But, but when Jesus is born, certainly everyone realizes, well, things are going to be different. This is something new. They're not so much making it up as they go, except in one sense, they were making it up as they went. Because the Savior of the world was now there. Even reading the Old Testament prophecies that had now been fulfilled, they had to be read differently. And we talked about that a bit on Sunday with the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. A virgin bearing a son becomes a reference to Jesus. And so, so they are figuring things out. They are, what do we do now in light of the coming of the Son of God? And so several decades later, Paul sits down and is also now thinking about, okay, like Christ has now died and been resurrected and the church is being established and Paul is a big part of that establishment and establishing the church. And he sits down and he wants to write and think about the coming of Jesus Christ, the, the way things are new and different. And one example of how he thinks about that is in today's epistle reading from Titus. And so Paul now sits down to think about, what do I say about Jesus Christ? What do I say about the Son of God who came in the flesh and, and changed everything? And Paul's sitting there, you know, this is all new. Paul didn't have a Bible to pull out. I mean, he had the Old Covenant. He had the, the what we now think of as the Old Testament. He had the writings to look at, but he didn't have the New Testament like we have, right? He didn't have the opportunity to say, well, let me look and see what, you know, someone else has said about this. No, Paul is the one who is saying these things. And so Paul sits down to think about this in Titus 3, what we now know as Titus 3, 4 through 7. We get one glimmer of how Paul thinks about this new thing that's happening and has been going on now for a number of decades. And the first question he seems to want to answer is to say, why did God send his son? I mean, an easy answer and a right one would be, well, because of sin. Because humans failed and sinned against God, we needed to be redeemed, and therefore God sent his son. And Paul is, of course, not unaware of that, but the words that he chooses to encapsulate that are goodness and loving kindness, at least here in this text. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. So God came out of goodness and loving kindness. Loving kindness there is actually the word philanthropia, philanthropy, because God loved humans so much, he sent the Savior. So God is good, and God is loving to humankind. That's why the Savior appeared. In fact, here Paul is not saying, well, the Savior came in response to sin. No, he's saying it's in God's nature, which is good 
and philanthropic to send his son. Is it a response to our sin? Yes. But what is it that moves God? That's within him. It's in God's nature to send the Savior for us. And to do what? To to save us. So that we wouldn't have to try to work out our salvation. So that we wouldn't have to try to figure out, am I pleasing God well enough to be saved? No, he sent his son to save us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So it's in God's nature to want to send his son to save us, and then out of that goodness and loving kindness and mercy, God sends his son to be the savior of the world, because if it had been left to us to have to work our way there, it never would have happened. It's like trying to run a race that you're never going to finish. It's like trying to climb a mountain that never ends, it seems. But instead, God moved by his own self, his own nature, his own goodness and love of humankind, sends Jesus to us. And he does it because he's merciful. And in doing that, we're washed by regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, like We are made clean by this action of God, washing of regeneration and renewal. That phrase probably is a reference to baptism, but that's also Pauline language for like formation, that this is the business of God making Christians, that he regenerates and renews them by his Holy Spirit. So not only do we not have to try to do enough good things to earn our salvation, but even our own regeneration and renewal is an act of God by way of his Holy Spirit. So God the Father, who is good and loving and and, and loves humankind, sends his Son out of his mercy to save us so that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, can also be involved in this Christmas business. So inasmuch as today is about Jesus, of course, it's also about the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christmas is Trinitarian. Jesus might be the infant in the manger, But it's the Holy Spirit who's moving those shepherds and those wise men to come and praise and the angels to come and praise at the birth. And so as we are being washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit to be saved because of God's goodness and loving kindness, what does he do? Like, does he just kind of do it enough? Right? You ever decide it, you look at your car and you say, man, I really need to wash that car. Right. I mean, you, some of you have heard this. I wash and clean my car a lot. But but one of the things that I notice on cars is the rims. Right. Nothing drives me crazier than when I see a high end sports car, which I have no desire to own on the freeway. And I look at its rims and they're filthy. Like, How are you going to own that car and not clean the rims? But if you haven't cleaned your rims frequently, you know that when you get down to do it, you start scrubbing. So. Someone, no one in this parish, once asked Brendan to clean their car, actually paid him to clean their car. So I think Christine and I got in on it too, because why not? And so I think I remember um, being down on my hands and knees in my driveway, scrubbing the rims of this person's car. And finally I stopped and I said, that's good enough. Yes, I did, Betsy. It It wasn't my car, so it was good enough. Never would have been good enough on my own car. I would have kept doing it. But this is good enough. But, but again, Jesus didn't just, or God didn't just send his son down here and 
Send his Holy Spirit to do a little work and then say, oh, that's good enough. That's clean enough. No, instead, he pours out on us richly this washing and this renewal, this regeneration and and being conformed to the image of his son. It's richly. He did what I would do with my own car, which would be not to just do it well enough, but to do it great. Right? That's God's nature, that he was good and that he loved us, that he sent his son so that we wouldn't have to try to work out our own salvation, which would be impossible. The spirit gets involved by regenerating us and washing us, and then it's done so well, so thoroughly, so perfectly that we can, what, verse 7, be justified by his grace. And as as, um, Linus once said, and that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we are celebrating today. Yes, it's the familiar story of the birth of Jesus that we heard read from the Gospel of Luke. But it's the work of the Trinity. It's a celebration and a feast day of the goodness and loving kindness of God, of the regenerating and renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, of this grace that has been so abundantly poured out on us that we are made clean, that we are made righteous, that we have been justified. So may we celebrate that this day. Amidst all the other things we celebrate, family, friends, goodness, gifts, joys, food, good food, sweets, too many of them, etc., etc. May we first and foremost keep in our mind the work that the Trinity has done for us. And so as we leave here today, may we celebrate our justification by his grace, the fact that we have been washed clean and renewed by his Holy Spirit. And let us give thanks to God for his goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.